Welcome to Be A Bigger Fish, the podcast that explores the power of podcasting. This is the final episode in season two of Be A Bigger Fish, which has centered around in-house or corporate podcasting with communications professionals. For this last episode of the season, I'm very pleased to have captured a conversation with somebody who's commanded my respect for many long years. So I've interviewed Ali Herdman. She's an organisational development consultant and executive coach. And Ali and I worked together as learning and development professionals quite a while ago. And while I took a step into communication, Ali moved into OD. So I know Ali's got a lot of experience and skill in dealing with leaders who need to find their way back to their authentic voice, often in order to repair broken workplace relationships or to deal with difficult change programmes. She shares some excellent perspective on why it can be hard to encourage leaders to speak with authenticity and how we can work to improve that. She's got some very positive things to say about the importance of great communication and the role of great communication professionals in organisations. And she's also a podcast fan, so she shares her view on how we can use audio content to improve communication strategies in our workplaces. There's loads to listen to in this podcast, so let's get into the conversation. I am delighted to welcome Ali Herdman to the podcast today. So Ali, welcome. Thank you. I will be upfront and say that Ali and I are lifelong buddies and we've worked together for more than one decade. I won't go into any more detail than that, but we've worked together on and off. And in fact, Ali was my boss at one time in the past. So I'm particularly pleased to get the opportunity to capture a podcast episode with Ali. So thank you very much. Ali, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the listener. And if you'd kindly give us a summary of what you do professionally, that would be helpful too. Yeah, thank you very much. And and thanks very much for asking me. I've followed your podcast with uh, real kind of delight and great interest. So it was a a delight to be asked. So thanks very much. Uh, For the last 15 years, I've run my own small consultancy. And our specialism, such as it is, is around organisational behaviour. So I would say probably about Maybe a third of my time is spent executive coaching on a one-to-one basis with senior leaders. And the rest of the time is around organisational transformation, leadership development, team development, anything that really appertains to how do we as as people behave in organisational, in human systems, and how do we get the best out of our organisations for us as people. That's brilliant. And I know the reason we have such great conversations when we talk about what we do is a lot of your work intersects with what we do in internal communications. So how much of your work do you think is dependent on good communication? Oh, uh, entirely, entirely. I mean, one of the things, a couple of things that really occurred to me when you asked me to, to come on the podcast was just that real overlap between internal communications and the work we do around culture and engagement. And when you're looking at transformation, I remember a big transformation programme I was involved in, and we were trying to sort of reset the 
or reboot the whole concept of leadership in the organization. And the internal comms team were absolutely central to that because it was all about, if you're talking about authentic leadership, you've got to talk about an authentic voice. So what's the voice of the leadership and how do leaders talk to their organizations? And when we talk about being yourself with skill, when we get into to really trying to develop leadership from a place of playing to your strengths and being authentic, then that's very much about how are you listening and engaging with your people. You know, I'm really glad you brought up the issue of having an authentic voice, because I know that's something that you are personally very skilled in, and that's encouraging people to bring their whole selves to work and represent their whole selves in dialogue. So that's something I really wanted to explore with you. In your working experience, how hard is it to coax leaders to put the corporate speak aside and use their own authentic voice with their people? I think it it depends. Sometimes with more junior leaders, there's a sort of expectation, and we still have it, although I really think we are getting a bit better on this, but I still think that sort of myth of the heroic leader exists. And recently I was working with a group of leaders, middle management leaders, and there was still this view that they somehow had to put on a persona Mm. to be that leader. And one of the things that we help people try to find is what is your authentic leadership? What fits with who you are, what your values are, who you are as a person? And in the words of uh, Goffey and Jones, who, who wrote a brilliant book called Why Should Anyone Be Led By You, which I would strongly recommend to anyone interested in authentic leadership. It's about how do you be yourself with skill? So I think at a, at a, you know, there's still sort of expectations of what leaders are supposed to look and sound like. I think there's a cultural suction into corporate speak. So people, when they are adapting to the culture of the organisation they're working for, that you see over time that people sort of start to fall into a, an idiom and a language that sort of fits the corporate communications which is where I think there's a bit of chicken and egg going on with how how that internal communications style actually starts to shape behavior and I think also when you get up into senior most of my uh, one-to-one coaching is with relatively senior leaders then I think there's a concern there of being misinterpreted and misconstrued which makes people cautious Mm. and therefore it's safer to bland it down into something that's not really saying anything and you start to lose the authenticity of of what that person actually sounds like. That's such an insightful phrase. It sounds like you're saying something, but it it loses its meaning because you've kind of cleansed it. I think there's also something, it, it is a product of power in hierarchy. In hierarchical structures, which most of our organizations still are, when you go up hierarchy, your words get heavier. Yes. The psychological projection onto you as a leader becomes greater. So there's plenty of examples of the ill-advised or throwaway comments kicking off conspiracy theories in large organisations in times of change. So I think there is something about leaders do have to be mindful of what they're saying and the way that they're saying it. The difficulty is, is if you become too mindful, then you actually bland down to to corporate speak and being safe and 
you end up with ridiculous situations like the, the famous Mum's Nest, you know, interview with Gordon Brown, where he didn't feel safe enough to say which type of biscuit he liked. Yes. Whilst that's an extreme and possibly unfair kind of analogy to make, I think there is something when the organisation, particularly if you're in transformation, which is why I think internal comms and a really, really good internal comms strategy whilst you're going through any major change is absolutely essential. And I would always, as, a, as an OD practitioner, if I was leading on a big transformation, I would absolutely want to be partnering very closely with people who have really good expertise in that crafting and communicating internally. Yeah, excellent. And yeah, that, that's brilliant advocacy for internal comms. And, and I agree that getting internal communications folk to work more directly with people in HR, OD and leadership can only be beneficial for the organisation, right? It is. And there's also something about one of the um, stats that I normally kind of challenge leaders with is we know that 80% of the effort that goes out in communications, particularly around change and transformation, is formal push. It's a formal push communication. Yet we know from discourse analysis and things like that, that 80% of the information we get is informal pull. Mm. And I think most, the vast majority of leaders do care about communication. They do want to be good leaders and they do want to engage and, and communicate effectively with their people. But quite often what happens, particularly in large organisations, is you'll get a staff survey back. And I've never seen a staff survey in a large organisation yet that didn't say communication was poor in some shape or form. And what tends to happen is the storyline goes, the staff surveys come back, communications top of the, in the top five of things that people aren't happy with. We redouble our efforts. We're upset about it as people responsible for communications in the organisation. We feel a little bit aggrieved. So we redouble our efforts and we send out yet another blog or yet another communication. And rather than just having the chief exec's blog post on the internet, we're now going to have the FDs and the HRDs and Uncle Tom Cobley and alls. And really what you're doing is you're redoubling your effort on formal push. I think we need to be more creative. I'm not just talking about internal communications practitioners. I just think for leaders and HROD people, anybody who's concerned with creating the right sort of culture and a positive listening and engaging workplace... We really need to think more creatively about actually how do we know what we know or what we need to know and how are we talking to each other? What's the tone and voice and warmth of the dialogue within the organisation and from the organisation across across customers and stakeholder groups and everybody else? You know, what are you known for? Yes. If you look at communications, a lot of that is quite not formal, but but deliberate So it's above the waterline, if you can use an iceberg metaphor on that. Whereas actually, quite a lot of the stuff that goes on in organisations is informal, it's below the waterline. It's the fact that uh, I've got a mate in Bristol uh, when I'm sat up in Glasgow and I've heard a rumour, so I pick the phone up or I send them a text or I send them a a WhatsApp and sort of says, you know, is this rumour true? And then they come back and tell me whether they think it is or it isn't. Then we get into the whole fake news agenda in terms of, well, what is verified and what's not verified. And, you know, so so I think a lot of people are getting quite interested in in how does information flow around the shadow system of the organisation, not the not the formal in the open air structure of the organisation, but in those 
gossipy back channels, people who know each other, you know, that sort of thing. It happens in organisations, once you get big organisations, once you get over a couple of thousand people, getting a hold of that informal agenda, I think, becomes quite important. Maybe getting a hold of isn't even the right word, but seeking to influence positively. Because those stories are going to happen. So when we talk about storytelling in organisations, the stories are there already. It's just, are they good stories or helpful stories or unhelpful stories? Okay, so if you're working with an organisation and it's becoming clear that it's really the negative stories that are being shared more than the positive stories or stories that link to the values and those sorts of things, how can you address that situation and how can you kind of correct that? I think it's not easy once things um, have taken hold, but I think there's something about... First of all, there's the visibility of the leadership. And I would encourage people, if they feel that morale is low and there's some negativity or a bit of a blame culture or that the dialogue is not helpful, part of that is to get out there and actually be seen. So it it really is about going out and engaging with people. Uh, and, And I don't know if it's appropriate to say here, but an important distinction sometimes coming back to the, you know, the staff survey says this, let's react to it kind of response. All too often when I've worked with senior leaders, if they have a response back that says he or she as chief exec or principal is not visible, they feel a bit aggrieved and sort of will say things like, Ali, I was in that depot five times last month. And actually what I normally say to them is I think there is a subtle distinction. I think when people say the senior leadership aren't visible, I think actually what they're really meaning is I don't feel visible to them. Right. And I think that's a subtle but really important difference. So what I would really encourage leaders to do is to go out and engage with people, shake their hands, make eye contact, really listen, go and sit in that staff room go and sit in that ward meeting room or wherever you are or go out and walk around the depot and but but don't just walk around the depot stop and talk to people and really listen and find ways of gathering views in a very active way so some of it is actually leaders actually getting out there and and really listening to what people have got to say coupled with you know alongside a really good creative comms presence where you're talking about what are the exciting possibilities or you're picking up the good stories and you're amplifying those what you definitely don't do which unfortunately I have seen is you go out and you try to stop the negative stories because that just looks like suppression right so that looks like a witch hunt or a negative response and what I normally say is, can you replace them with more positive ones? So can you get just get the positive tide to be greater than the negative? That sounds like great advice. And I love the point you made earlier about visibility, that when you're hearing that leaders are not visible enough, really the message underneath that is that leaders aren't listening enough. Yeah, I don't feel visible to the leadership. As an internal communicator, you're fully, fully aware of this, Debbie. But once you get into a place where people don't feel seen as people, then they start to feel that they're simply a unit of cost and production. Yes. And and do you think that breakdown is what makes authentic communication from a leader even harder? Because they're not in dialogue with anybody. They're broadcasting a message. It isn't a, a kind of natural human process in that way. It is. And that's when you start hearing them. 
you know, they, them on both sides. So if you, you go into an organization, I'm working with an organization at the moment that's not in a very happy place. But what's interesting is when I go and engage with the body of the folk that are in the organization and they talk about their senior leadership team, they will talk about it in a quite a negative way. I mean, they're not bad mouthing it. It's just that the language they they don't understand. They don't know. Yeah, but they wouldn't. And there's a lot of projection. There's a lot of projection that is never checked out. They're not engaging with them, don't really know what they think, but they've decided that they think this because there isn't that connection and there isn't that dialogue. And similarly, I did a session for the senior leaders uh, fairly recently. And what struck me was one of them particularly was talking about that group of people in the way that my granny used to talk about the people down the road she didn't like. And what that says to me from an organisational behaviour point of view is that just puts me, that's a red flag to me because I'm thinking, blimey, you know, what does that tell you about the quality of the relationship that has broken down to the point where actually you're both making whopping assumptions about each other's motives without checking them out? That's a classic sign of where there isn't the right level or detail of communication you know to yeah. fill that void yeah absolutely yeah. so how do you encourage leaders to listen more how do you encourage them to break out of that stereotypical urge to just broadcast more and take a step back and listen more one of the things that, that helps is that sense of understanding yourself so self-awareness in a leader i think is crucial but really understanding what your strengths are and being comfortable with those, but equally realising that your role is to engage and involve others. And I think all too often what happens as people go up seniority in in, in a lot of organisations, they think it's about them. And I think a little bit of the cult of the heroic leader kind of feeds into that. You get a bit of ego and a bit of hubris and Really, if leaders recognise that they stand or fall on the quality of the motivational energy that they can nurture and engender with their people, then they lead in a different way. Right. And that becomes one much more of, yes, setting a, a vision, but then engaging really widely and authentically with people about how that vision might be realised. And, and sometimes it's about having the humility to actually just get out there and listen. Yeah, and, and take on board what you hear. I think that's people's greatest frustration is they feel like they're filling in endless surveys or they're responding, they're making comments on their intranet, but they don't get a sense that that's actually taken on board and, and something happens as a consequence of that. I yeah, think. and I think if you pay lip service to it and you do a little bit of chucking out of a use said we did stuff then I think that reinforces that the vast majority of people are intelligent adult professionals and yet all too often there's a bit of a parent-child dynamic in in the way that organizations are are run are the way that communications are, are sent out that sort of leads people into a we will tell you and we'll do a little bit of us and them kind of engagement but actually it's not really a sense of we are working together as a collective yeah absolutely and I know you hinted that you work with organizations when they are experiencing difficulty and I know that you've had experience of dealing with board level leaders at a time when they're dealing with reputational crisis so 
how do you advise people at those times? Are there principles you can encourage them to adhere to to help them through those times? Breathe mm. deeply before you react. I think there's a, a real concern at a board level that they need to be seen to be taking dynamic, decisive action. And what I would normally say is when you have a crisis or a reputational blow, then really think about what it is that you are truly there for. So come back to first principles. Board should be there to safeguard the well-running of their, of their organisation. They're there to do a lot of other things as well, but, but mainly they should be holding the, the core of whatever that organisation exists to do. So if you're an NHS trust board, you're there for the services to that community. If you are there as a board of a private sector organisation, then you are there as services to those, you know, your stakeholder groups and whether that be your people, your customers, your shareholders. And what I would normally advise them to do is to really try and be mindful in the moment of what your core role is. I think the other for big reputational hits, it is sensible to hire in some good reputation management professionals. There are people who do this really, really well, particularly if you are in the press and you're going to get the BBC's Look North my you know, camera shoved under your nose when you come into the next board meeting to get people to advise people with that. But I think mainly it's about being mindful of why are you there and then taking that action on what's the best for the good of the organisation rather than any individual or political advantage. And in terms of communicating specifically with colleagues inside that organisation, what would be your best advice for that? Absolutely, get out there and start talking because conspiracy theories love a vacuum. Yes. And I can remember vividly being in, right in the middle of a senior leaders programme with a, a, another colleague. It was a big multinational and we were running this programme and we were in Prague on day two. An announcement came out that the company had been bought and effectively the brand ceased to exist. And what was fascinating was it was broadly 60-40. About 60% of our leaders instantly got up and got on the got on the phones, got on the FaceTime, got in touch with their people to manage, you know, to be present, to talk to them. And about 40% said, no, it's all right, they're fine. We'll do it. We'll do it after the course finishes tomorrow. Wow. And, and it was just a moment. I remember looking across at my co-facilitator and then we went for a drink in Wenceslas Square that evening. And I think as we sat down, we sort of said, well, I think we've just had a very good demonstration of where the leadership capabilities sit within this group. Yeah, an acid test. Really, really interesting. And, you know, in times of change, there's a wonderful Eric Hoffer quote, which is, in times of change, the learners inherit the earth and the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that doesn't exist anymore. Yes. And I think if you are standing on your laurels or your 20 years expertise or your wonderful set of letters after your name, then that drives you more into the learned category. Whereas those leaders who are, are themselves, are authentic, are listening, and actually genuinely get that they are only as good as the sum total of all the, the people who make up their team or their function or their organisation 
then those people get that they do need to care about how people feel about things and how people react to things. Then actually, even if you, sometimes people will say, particularly with change that drags on, some transitions and organisational restructures do drag on. And then there's a sort of fatigue that sets in where leaders can often say, I just don't have the answers. We don't know. So quite often people in times of change or restructure, people in lower down the organisational hierarchy will want more detail than the leaders have got or can give. And therefore, all too often what happens is, and and because it's an unpleasant environment and that leader might get verbal brickbats thrown at them, then they sort of back away with the view that, well, I've got nothing new to tell you. And what I always advise my leaders to see, well, that's fine. We'll just go and sit with them. Go, go and sit down next to somebody and tell them you've got nothing new to, to tell them. Yeah, and I guess use that as an opportunity for listening and, yeah. you know, and connection. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because in times of change, what we want from our leadership is presence, not perfection. And one of the things about authentic leadership is when we look at the research into followership, which personally I think is infinitely more interesting than getting a bunch of already successful leaders and identifying what traits they've got and trying to copy it, which I wouldn't advise to anybody. But I think if we go and ask people what inspires you, what, what, what makes you want to give of your discretionary effort, why can you be bothered to do this? And what is it that your leader is doing or not doing that really is working or not working for you? When we get into that conversation, that actually you very quickly realise that it's far from perfection that we warm to. What we warm to is humanity. Yes. So if I think about, and I'll not name him, Debbie, but somebody that we both knew many, many years ago was probably one of the best leaders I've worked for, but he was a pretty poor manager. We used to stand over him and make him sign our expenses because he was so disorganised and you ended up not getting them paid. But his team would have walked across hot curls for him. And, and some of that was in his, his flaws. Some of that was he was a real human being who cared about the people around him. He was an extremely good leader, but he was also had you know, some very obvious stuff that he was really not very good at. And in some bizarre way, sometimes it's the fact that we get a sense of a person being a real person who is alongside us in the game, trying his or her best too, is much more compelling than any sense of polish or style or slick presentation. Absolutely. And that in itself is argument enough, isn't it, to be to be your whole self when you're communicating. Yeah, absolutely. So earlier, your suggestion was that as communicators, we need to find more creative ways to communicate. From my perspective, where that fits nicely with what I'm doing professionally is that podcasting and the use of audio could be viewed as a more creative way to try to reach people. What's your view on that? Do you think that podcasts would just be adding to the broadcast noise or do you think it's something fresh that could be helpful? I I definitely think it doesn't add to the broadcast noise because I think it's fundamentally different. So a lot of the communication that, that traditionally has gone out from leaders to the folk uh, has been written either on an intranet or in an email or what have you. Video curiously is kind of in the same dynamic for me. Whilst you can actually see somebody there and you get your talking head kind of videos and they're better for me. That's better than reading a post on an intranet personally. 
But there's something about podcasts and I came late to podcasts and I've got really, really into them. But I'm also curious as to why they work so much better. And I think there's something about that. They're more intimate. It's it's a more intimate engagement. And some of that's because they're in your ears. Oh, that sounds daft, but, you know, they're kind of inside your head or in my kitchen when I plug my phone in and listen to podcasts as I'm cooking or when I'm driving. And I think you take it with you. So I think there's something about you don't have to sit down and mentally say, right, I am watching the Chief Exec's video now or I am going to read the message on the internet. I think there's something about podcasts. You can stick them in your ears and take them with you or you can bung them on in the car. So you sort of, it's more portable. You can multitask with it. And I think there's something as well about just hearing the voice that can be really important if it's done authentically. You know, and if the leader's going to sound terribly stilted, this is why, you know, an expert working alongside and coaching that leader would be really helpful. Because if they're going to come across like Max Headroom, then that's going to be really stilted. But if you can get them to be authentic and say, this is me, and talk from the heart and talk from their own value set and their own self, using their own accent and their own language and vocabulary then I think that's incredibly powerful because it comes back to this sense of that that is that woman, that is that man. They are a real human being and they I can pick up that warmth. I think you do have to manage it. I think there is a potential downside and some of the podcasts that I love, they've also got people who are actually quite nice to listen to. Right. And I don't know if this is a thing, Debbie, in, in the internal comms podcasting world, but there have been podcasts that I've clicked on that sound really, really interesting, things that I would be interested in. And I thought, oh, that's great. I'll add that to that. And then I click on them. And there was one particularly, an American woman who was doing some stuff around organizational development, which I should have been right at my street. But I have to say, after about 20 minutes, I just thought, I, you know, I just can't listen to this voice anymore. So, you know, I think that there is something about if your chief exec has got a particular, you might need some voice coaching, <laughs> they've got a particularly irritating voice. But actually, I think more importantly, if they are who they are, I think podcasting has a, a way of connecting at a more intimate level than virtually any other form of communication I can think of in organisations at the moment, beyond sitting down with somebody shaking their hand and having a conversation. Yeah, I guess I think we, we would all agree that face-to-face communication is the top of the pyramid and yeah. you, there'll never be a replacement for that. That will always be the number one way to connect with, a num- with another human being. But I think you've hit the nail on the head with a couple of your points there. The fact that podcasts are intimate, the fact that you take them with you and you choose when you listen to them makes it on your agenda rather than somebody else's. And you're absolutely right that the quality of somebody's voice is critical. So you can hear authenticity in a tone of voice. You can tell if somebody's reading a script and you can tell if somebody's responding to a question with genuine opinion rather than scripted fact so oh, absolutely and and you know i'm just thinking um recently i was at a, a an award ceremony where they had a number of politicians really it was it was whoever was the minister in charge of that particular educational bit there were three speakers there was somebody from the conservative party there was somebody from the labor party and then somebody stood up who was connected to the organization 
And he started talking about the importance of getting young people to engage politically and to vote. And what was really striking was his tone was so completely different to everything that had gone before. There'd been some very good messages before, there'd been some very good talk, I don't want to sound disparaging, but it had been largely consciously for the cameras. And, and this guy stood up and he, you could almost hear him when he clicked into gear of his, of his own emotions, of, of something he genuinely felt passionate about. And the, the timber of the voice, the tone, the pace, everything moved. And I felt a real shift in the audience where people started to listen in a different way. And I think that's the power of podcasting is if people can get, if you can get that authentic voice, we recognize it. Human beings are incredibly sophisticated in terms of communication and we get it. We might not be able to articulate it, but we get it at a, a physical level almost when we hear authenticity and we connect. I totally agree with that. I think you're right. There's something deeply intuitive about the way we understand the spoken voice that's much more nuanced, I, I think, than the way we read things and understand information um, from reading. So what do you think would be the best approach for somebody who's starting out to use audio or podcasting in their internal communications and they want their senior team to be a part of that how would you advise them to approach that? And what do you think would give them the best results? I wouldn't do it in isolation. So I wouldn't approach it from a communication perspective, as in how do we communicate better? I would come at it from a what is it that's important for people to get? So when we come back to that engagement stuff, when we look at what's the strategic narrative, and how do we engage people in a really good conversation about what's important to us? What are we for? Not what we do. What are we for? What do we exist for? What's our purpose? And to then have that as the starting point and say, well, how do we actually communicate that purpose? And then I would be working with my leadership in terms of how do we want to start using audio alongside the other stuff I don't think it's a replacement for I think it's a, it's another strand to the loom as it were then really thinking about well what are the forum that we can start doing that not everybody does podcasts it's something that is growing exponentially and, and quite a lot of us will have podcasts that we listen to whether that be the BBC's political stuff or somebody else's knitting channel or something you know um, whatever our hobbies are or whatever our personal interests are but even so I think if you're doing it internally there should be something about how do you initially thread it into a wider communication strategy and really really listen you know when are people using it how are they using it at what times, in what ways, people do access material differently. Personally, I my podcast uses when I'm walking, when I'm cooking, and when I'm driving. I don't tend to have them on when I'm working at my desktop because I actually find that distracting. I like to be able to concentrate on them. So, so if you're using them internally, then actually, what are you trying to achieve? What are the core messages that you're wanting to get across? And have you got a good evaluation strategy around it to really find out, not just is it working or not, but how is it working and what can you experiment with? 
that's such a good point. And evaluation is something I know um, internal communications professionals have been considering for quite a long time. You know, it's really how do you capture what are the the channels that work well and, and what are the ones that don't and why? And how do we sort of cut down on the noise, but increase the message and the dialogue? So that, that's a really good point. You mentioned that you listen to podcasts a lot during what may be considered your downtime. So when you're cooking, when you're walking, a lot of people in large organisations have encountered a barrier with their colleagues where they're saying, you know, when I'm not actually at work or at my desk, I really don't want to hear about work. I just want to do downtime stuff. Do you think that's a common perception? And is that a barrier to audio content succeeding? It sounds a bit of a trite answer, but on one level, it depends on how interesting it is. If it's the Max Headroom message from the boss, here's my State of the Union address delivered in a rather stilted manner, then no, I probably wouldn't be putting it on when I was cooking the curry. But actually, if it was a really important update from somebody who I found accessible and easy to listen to, and I'm engaged and connected to my job, then actually I probably would driving to and from work it can be a nice way depending again on the podcast and the material how interesting is it you know you could do a lovely podcast which people could have as their wind down from work podcast where you mixed in the latest stuff that you want everybody to know plus a little bit of nice light-hearted stuff to sort of then sort of say but also remember at the end of this podcast you're finished your day don't pick up any more email don't think about it wouldn't that be lovely if you had a down from work podcast that you could drive to and have your chief exec saying, have a lovely evening. That'd be great. Have a lovely, don't pick up email, go and bath your kids, have a nice evening. I think that would be a winner, actually. Yeah, the Wind Down From Work podcast is on my list for 2020. I'm going to see it. if I could get that one set up somewhere. That's brilliant. And just to kind of sum up a lot of the conversation that we've had, I know that you have dealt with leaders and organisations at their very lowest and I know that you've seen them turn around um, and be able to re-establish a connection with their colleagues and improve things. So if you could distill the wisdom of that experience, Ali, um, to share with other professionals, what would you say to them? What would you tell them to sort of hold on to as principles? We come back to authenticity. We come back to understanding your innate strengths, not your clever learned behaviours, because by the time most of us get to a period of seniority, we've acquired a whole shed load of very clever acquired behaviours that don't bring us joy. They're not innate strengths and they don't feed our souls, if you like. So actually find out what your true strengths are and engage with people from a place of humility and have those conversations. Don't be afraid of voicing your opinions, but equally do them in such a way that it's in the context of really, really listening to other people's opinions and navigating a, a dialogue in your, in your organisation that is around what's core and what's important. So there's that kind of wonderful blend of courage and compassion that really good leaders have that allow them to simultaneously make tough decisions that may be really unpopular, but do it with bucket loads of kindness and, and really uh, compassion for the fact that everybody is carrying a, a load. And what we need to do is to create organisations where people can genuinely be themselves, because we know that is 
how you make a diverse and strong organisation where you've got real people having their individuality valued. For leaders who are trying to re-establish themselves, I think there's something about what do you need to reboot in terms of your leadership style and how can we work with you to really help you connect with the sources of your your motivational energy, if you like. Mm. Because I fervently believe that the motivational energy of the leadership and all the people in the organisation is the organisation's most precious resource. And therefore that needs to be nurtured and protected and reaffirmed, re-energised. And that, I think, is is a lot of what leadership should be about. I think that was a brilliant way to sum all of that up. And I love the idea that we do things with bucket loads of kindness. If only we could do that more often, that would be fantastic. Well, that's been such an inspiring conversation, Ali. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And if anybody would like to find out more about you or what you do, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, um, well, the website is aliherdman.co.uk. Uh, imaginatively entitled because I couldn't think of a better title (laughs) but I couldn't think of a better name for the company so I just bunged my name on it but thank you and it's been lovely it's been really really nice just to uh, to blether on about stuff I care about oh it's been wonderful really really inspiring so thank you so much for that so I'll see you soon bye see you soon take care lovely (laughs) bye bye like to say another huge thank you to Ali for some truly quotable gems in that podcast and for sharing her view with us appropriately with so much authentic passion I'm I'm going to put a link to her website in the show notes and plus the book that she made a reference to and you can find her on Twitter and LinkedIn so if anything Ali said resonates with you either Ali or I would be really delighted to know about it so please feel welcome to make contact with us before I close the season I'd like to say thank you sincerely to all my guests for their generosity one of the most wonderful things about podcasting is the chance it gives you to really talk in depth with some amazing people so thank you Harriet Keith Advita JP John, Zane, Paul, Jen and Ali. You've all been amazing and you've made this season so worthwhile. If you want to know more about making a podcast as part of your internal comm strategy, then feel welcome to contact me either on social through Twitter. So you can find me and Debbie Aurelius uh, on Twitter, or you can look up Peppermint Fish C on Instagram, and I'm also Debbie Aurelius on LinkedIn, so I'm fairly easy to find. Uh, or you can look up the website, it's beabiggerfish.net, and you'll find the show notes for all of the podcast episodes on there and a contact form if you want to get in touch online. Thank you so much for listening and for the support you've shown me online and in the reviews that you've left for the podcast. It means such a lot. So really, thank you. Have an amazing start to 2020. We're taking a short break now, but we'll be back in the new year with lots of interesting conversation. And I can't wait to share that with you and meet up with you again then. Take care for now.